0: Thanks for joining us for a very special Work Human Radio. I'm your host, Mike Wood. And today's episode, our CHRO Steve Pemberton is going to be talking to uh, someone on the front lines of both the police department and in the fire department here in the U.S. Um, He's going to be... Talking to Michelle Bellevue of the Mansfield Police Department in Massachusetts. She's also a nurse for UMass Memorial in Worcester, Massachusetts. And John Paul Benoit, who is a captain and EMT for the Stowe Fire Department in Massachusetts. A little note about JP is I've known JP since I was 12. I grew up in Stowe, Massachusetts. Um, He was my scoutmaster as I went through the Boy Scouts program. And he is everything that I have ever wanted to be in terms of a leader. He has personally led over 80 scouts to the rank of Eagle Scout, which is no easy feat, uh, including myself and my brother. And he has been a, a mentor and a role model, father figure, you knew, you name it. So I'm very I'm very. Uh, honored to be able to introduce him and what he stands for uh, to uh, this audience. So enjoy uh, Steve's conversation with uh, Michelle and JP. Hi, everybody. It's Steve Pemberton, Chief Human Resource Officer at WorkHuman,
1: joining you again. And today, as part of our Keeping Work Human series, I'm joined by two local guests on the front lines of the pandemic in Massachusetts. Michelle Bellevue is an officer for the Mansfield Police Department and a nurse at the UMass Memorial Medical Center. J.P. Benoit is a captain and EMT for the Stowe Fire Department. Michelle and J.P., it's really, really good to see you. uh, And it's a real honor to uh, spend a little bit of time uh, with you. How are you doing? Uh, uh, Michelle, we'll start with you.
2: Hi, thanks for having me. Um, We're good. The family. uh, My son is a a full-time police officer in the city of Newton as well, so we get to bounce back a lot of um, things between Newton, where I used to work, and Mansfield, where I currently work. Now it's a similar demographic; it's just a lot Mm -hmm. smaller. Um, I think Newton has close to 100,000 people, and Mansfield has half of that. So. But it's an upper middle class uh, community, so it's we're the same kinds of issues, I believe. You know.
1: Yeah, sure. And JP, how's life in stove?
3: Uh, somewhat quiet at the moment, which is good. Um, we've been steady on calls, uh, steady on uh, department activities, uh, but we're we're doing well here. Mm.
1: Really glad to hear. Michelle, uh, I wanted to ask a bit about um, you being both a police officer and a nurse. Kind of walk walk us through how that came to be.
2: Okay. So in 1992, I enlisted in the United States Navy. So I'm a Navy hospital corpsman. I don't know if you know anything about the history of corpsmen, but we're the medics for the Marine Corps. As, and we go greenside, meaning we go with a Marine Corps unit into war, and we are there dark, so to speak. So we're very liberal out in the field about what therapies and everything that we can do in trauma medicine or any in battle medicine. When a non, um, at a non-war time, sometimes you can, like I was enlisted right after Desert Storm so we can actually further our education. So I became an OR tech with a specialization in ear, nose, and throat surgery. And I finished my enlistment I went to California two times for trainings, both Hospital Corman School basic and my C- NEC school, my uh, OR tech with the specialization in San Diego. And I was stationed in Groton, New London, and I was stationed at uh, Bethesda National Naval Medical Center, which is now Walter Reed. I think they got rid of Walter Reed, and now it's just one, but it was the president's hospital. So it was, a, uh, it was nice working, finishing my Navy career there. So I always wanted, um, so I went to go pursue nursing right out of um, my enlistment. And I got accepted to nursing school um, to backtrack. I took a police exam. My father's a retired police officer and I'm a veteran. So I was like, all right, I'll just take an exam. Didn't think much of it, was continuing with my studies. Got accepted to nursing school within two weeks of getting asked to become a Newton police officer. So it was kind of like wow. starving student, make money now. I had a small child, mm-hmm. so I chose the law enforcement route, but I always knew that I was gonna go back and get my nursing degree. Mm-hmm. It was something that I wanted. And um, when my son was like 13, when they start getting their little independence on their own and they don't yeah. need mommy so much, yeah. I went back to school got my prerequisites again, and busted my hump from 2010 to 2012. And I got my degree. I have an associate's, and I'm working on my bachelor's. Um, so I started there. So that's wow. how the police yeah. uh, nurse thing happened.
1: Quite a journey. Quite a journey.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: JP. Um, what inspired you to become uh, a firefighter? And as I understand it, your sons are are, are following uh, in, in your footsteps. When, when did the, the, the idea of being a firefighter, where, firefighter, when did that start?
3: I actually went to school to become an electrician in uh, trade school. And um, after I got out of trade school, I worked for an electrical company. And my brother-in-law was a EMT with the department here in Stowe. Uh, back then, it was uh, EMS, and then there was fire. as two separate departments. Uh, so I got the interest to be an EMT. I joined the department back in 86. And um, its uh, I never left it. Um, I'm not doing as much electrical work. I'm more of a firefighter EMT. Uh, my job has changed over the years uh, from being a frontline firefighter to uh, the captain of the department. Um, I still respond on the trucks, I still do EMS calls. Um, I find it's uh, very rewarding to be an EMT. As far as my boys, um, I guess I influenced them. Uh, My oldest is uh, just actually became a full-time firefighter here in Stowe as well. Um, He started his career about three years ago, uh, working for another department and just transferred here. My other two boys are call firefighters Mm-hmm. So they're not full-time. They just respond on calls when uh, we have incidents. Uh, my youngest is actually looking at becoming a firefighter EMT uh, or paramedic at some point in time. Yeah. So it's um, very exciting to sense. have them on the department. It's very exciting to uh, be able to work side-by-side with them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, It's been a great pleasure with them.
1: Yeah yeah the, um, the the code of the firefighter is a familiar one in my home uh, my father-in-law who we regrettably so lost last year was a firefighter. and so uh, I, I um, knew all the stories uh, watched my children his grandchildren kind of walk around with little, little firefighter uh, your know, costumes just because of the effect and the impact uh, you know that, that he had and I and I, I still remember JP at his service um, you know, we walked out of the church, and there all the firefighters were lined up. I mean, guys he hadn't worked with in you know 30, 40 years, but there they were. Uh, just one of those moments that's emblazoned upon uh, upon your memory. It wasn't really until then. I mean, I, I had seen it certainly um, uh, in in the world of, of policing where where Michelle was, and had seen that because I was part of the family too. uh with the code of firefighters was was something extraordinary to see. So I can imagine how it feels to you know, have your sons be part of that. Part sure. of that. Um, Yeah. I want to ask you both a bit about um, how uh, COVID-19 has impacted uh, the way in which you're engaging and interacting with the public. Uh, you know, certainly uh, we have all been attentive and awakened to, you know, the impact of what this is doing to those on the front lines of society, uh, whether it is those who are working in retail and front lines and cashiers and male men and male women. Um, but now really the importance of police officers, nurses and, and, and firefighters and how you're having to stand in these really, really uh, important gaps. Uh, Michelle, I'll start with you. How has this kind of impacted uh, your, your profession in the way in which you're engaging with the public?
2: Well, my department did a very uh, bold uh, work schedule that actually other departments, I believe across the state, have followed through. My uh, deputy chief implemented a program. He was really ahead of this, spearheading this. So we normally work eight-hour shifts, and we work a rotating 24. So it was midnight to eight, eight eight to four, and four to midnight. So because of the pandemic, because of the risks that we pose, we went to a four on 12 hour shift and then we're off eight days in a row and then the last four days we're actually off 12 days. so we have an eight day gap mm-hmm. and then the last four days are on on call basis in case one of us got ill with the ill with Corona so every, he pulled everybody out of the bureaus out of the detective bureaus, the drug squads everywhere traffic so everybody is just one unit in patrol staffing the city 24 hours a day so it was um to to have that implemented and actually give us some time if we were to be infected to self-quarantine and be do that safely and then return to work and and service our community was uh this i told him it was like groundbreaking what he did Really, you know because it's going against the norm when you go against you know of what normal procedure is. Sometimes you get a lot of uh, blowback, but in this case, it's been, mm-hmm. it's been working. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to get used to. I did it as a nurse to work the 12 hour shifts, work four twelves and four days. That's 48 hours and four days, which is, you know, seven to seven. That's the shift we do seven at night till seven in the morning. And then the day shift comes in seven in the morning till seven at night. But um, Yeah. It's a little used. It's a little harder to get used to, but once you once you're in the flow of it. But to see that, um, yeah, yeah. that's how that impacted us. Um, so um, our day-to-day um, duties haven't really changed much. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of traffic on there, and a lot of a lot of businesses. So the less accidents are happening, less motor vehicle accidents per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have noticed an up kick in um like domestic disturbances Mm -hmm. um alcohol related offenses whether it be Mm -hmm. in the home arguing those kinds of things because if you think about it you're isolated at home you're told to stay home and all the liquor stores are open and a lot of people are flowing we've seen it flowing to the liquor stores so it's bound to happen and that's what's happening that's what i've noticed
1: wow wow uh how about you, JP, your day to day? How is this impacting uh, you and so? Uh,
3: we have not changed our shifts at all. Uh, we still work, uh, the daytime firefighters work four days on, four days off as normal. Um, but just now our operations have changed drastically. Um, one of the first procedures that we implemented was that when you walk into the uh, one of two doors, uh, you have to take your temperature and wash your hands. If your temperature is elevated, you walk right out the door and notify the myself. Um, our station duties have changed. We have a daily cleaning routine, but since the pandemic, uh, we are decon in the station at the end of every shift, um, including the bunk rooms to ensure that all members stay safe. Our apparatus, are the cleanest they've ever been uh, simply because we constantly are deconing them to ensure that any contact that we come with the public is um, you know taken care of even the way we greet our public here at the mm-hmm. station uh, things have changed we used to greet them in the lobby now it's through a window um, there's no more handing of paperwork there's no more handing of packages uh, we've kind of isolated ourselves from public just to ensure that we stay safe to be able to help them Mm -hmm. even our training has changed Uh, we used to train quite often as a group it's now more individual uh, to ensure that we practice social uh, distancing with each other and then even the equipment that we've had to issue to members each member now carries a n95 mask with them Uh, some of the officers carry um kits that contains gowns and masks so that when responding to calls, we have proper uh, equipment to use. Mm. So it's it's constantly changing for us here, you guys, so how we do things.
1: Yeah. And very likely we'll continue to.
2: I just wanted to jump on something. He made me think of something. It's the same thing with us as far as decontamination, every shift the whole department, the police department, we don't have roll call anymore. We go straight to the cruises and the cruises are being deconned every shift. So in between every shift, we have PPE, which we have an N95 mask as well as the regular mask. And we were encouraged to get our own facial covering as well. um, Just so we don't run out of supplies. We have shields, just all, uh, you know, you know, the, in the fire, all the equipment that you have now, it's just like, more more equipment and you're thinking more about you know ppe before you would never think of that you know even with the you know say we're going to a code you know we would just run in if we happen to beat the fire truck because we're out there responding and sometimes the location where the first one's there before the fire we would just run in well now we have to actually think wow yeah we actually have to think about running in what we're going to do Obviously, we're still going to go in and, and perform life-saving therapies, but we're going to have to down, don equipment before mm-hmm. doing so.
1: Yeah. So speaking of um, running in, um, I have been seeing, and I know that you've been seeing in your professions across the country. Um, as there have, this has now become a conversation about liberty and freedom, uh, protests, I mean, a whole series of things. And I'm watching people in your profession being confronted, you know, by individuals who um, are clearly wrestling with the confining nature of what we have been required to do. Uh, and so it's, it's in, in, you know, both of your roles, you're there to protect the public, but how do you do that when you have members of the public who don't seem to want to protect themselves and others? Like, how do you navigate that? Uh, JP, uh, let's start with you. Um,
3: being a small community, it has not been that difficult. Um, we've had questions before in regards to why we do certain things. Um, after explaining to a lot of different residents or business owners of what our policies and procedures are, they understand. Um, it's, it hasn't been, like I said, it hasn't been too difficult for us.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: The difficult part that we have is with um, in sh- making sure that everyone just understands the protocols that we go through. Mm-hmm. Um, if we have, you know, the code patient, the code patient may not be transported to the hospital. Um, it may be a decision that, there's nothing that can be done Mm -hmm. so it's sometimes difficult to explain um as i said before we used to interact with the public quite often and we get still requests for different things and we simply have to say no and we have to uh, explain again why we can't do certain things at this time Mm
2: -hmm. yeah michelle well it's always a fine line when you're dealing with 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 people in general, and I think um, getting ahead of this in information and posting the information out there for pub- the public in an easy, accessible way, Facebook, social media, announcements through the school, through text messages in the towns, um, put that information out um, to the public. And if there is any question, that's when I'm here. And I always tell people, if I don't have the answer to it, I'm going to find out the answer. If I don't have, I don't have all the answers, but if you ask me a question and I can help you with that, absolutely. I will be here and I will call you, you know, and you can stay right here until I find out what you need. Cause that's what the more information, the more transparent that a town at our, you know, at, even at our state level, at the government level, the only, it will only ease people's fears. And that's, That's the thing that we're dealing with and fear is a very tangible thing and your fear is different than my fear and it's different than JP's fear. So, and it can be very crippling. So the only way to combat that is information. I believe information and just be totally transparent and say, listen, you know, we're asking you to do this. Please do it because we're saving lives here. And this is what we need. This is what we need to do. This is the route that we're going. If we find out the route we're going, Needs to be modified, then we'll modify. This is uncharted territory, so I think, I think as a country we've done very well, and as our local governments, I am, you know, we can always get on our personal opinions, but a personal opinion and medical evidence are two different things. So yeah. we really yeah. need to, you know, <laughs> you know, everybody has an opinion, you know, but yeah. you know, yeah. we need it's evidence. Is- we need evidence-based. Right tangible right. evidence that's what scientific procedure that's what scientific knowledge is based on evidence not yeah. opinion
1: yeah yeah uh um, i think we're all learning the distinction between an, an opinion and an informed opinion uh and um regrettably so never has the gap between those things seemed wider uh, you know it's uh the the uh, the age old commercial that i don't have this skill but i just stayed at a holiday inn last night well you know it's uh, those aren't the same things necessarily. Well, <laughs> you may feel that they are. Um, I, I want you know. Speaking of that, um, you know, clearly you're, for both of you, your your trainings are in situations that are you know dire. They're usually highly individualized though, or crisis. Uh, you know, an accident, for example, a fire uh, that you're that you're summoned to to, to address. And so, uh, one of the things that we we keep hearing. Um, in might call, the safety industry, safety communities, that you're almost required to take on this like warlike like um, persona and apparatus to deal with this. Is it? And I know it's not the case in Mansfield and Stowe where you are, but is that what you're seeing across the country? Does this sound a lot like some of the things that you heard about in your early de- days of, of training around crisis management and those kinds of things, uh, JP?
3: For the fire department, our biggest um, task is pre-planning incidents, Uh, knowing what we need for different resources and how to manage things. Uh, Simple medicals are not that simple. There's a whole chain of events that take place for a medical uh, from the time that someone calls 911 to the time that we get the person to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And we need to be prepared um, for any changes that happen during the incident. Um, fires whatever it is we need to make sure that we are prepared 100 um, mm-hmm. percent regardless if we let our guard down once then we open ourselves for um, not only injuries to ourselves but also to the people that we're trying to serve so we constantly have to go with the same motions regardless if we've been there for 20 times it's going to be the same motion every time to ensure
1: safety mm-hmm. Yeah. Michelle?
2: I agree with what JP says, but our role, like I always say, the police and fire, we're on the same ball team. We're just different positions. You know, we're, we're, our role is different. And sometimes, unfortunately, my role, and I'm in patrol, so I'm on the front lines as far as responding to calls, I have to stop somebody from doing harm to somebody else or themselves. So sometimes all I have is a mask on and all I have is a pair of gloves. And if you wrestle with somebody, which happens quite frequently, physical, trying to get a hold of somebody, you're going to get exposed. You're going to get bit. You're going to get kicked. You're going to get spit on. And unfortunately, these are things that are, are part of the job that I do. I know a lot of people, well, that shouldn't be. And I know it's unfortunate that we have people that will spit, kick, punch, fight us, and that is a concern. But when I'm doing my job, I'm not thinking that. I just rely on my training, and this is where your, your training, your muscle memory comes into play about all your training. And I grab pieces from the military, and I'm so glad that I had that training, and that combat medical role, and those combat, because I'm always looking at it as a nurse and a cop, a lot of times. So yeah. I use my whole portfolio, so to speak, you know, yeah. when I'm dealing with somebody, but, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, we have to get physical and just to, to and that's the, the risk that I see for us on the front lines as officers that we will, that we could get exposed and, and um, mm-hmm. uh, obtain this virus in, in our job duties. That's, that's yeah. how we can see it happening
1: yeah both I'm really making important points that uh, you know the frustrations that people are feeling as a result of being confined their freedoms are limited and necessarily so uh, but that uh, frustration and a lot of times that anger they're directing you can't direct it to you know uh, <laughs> awesome. so they decide that they're going to you know direct it at that uh, at you uh, uh, so the training and, and the patients, presumably, that you have to assemble to deal with that is remarkable. And you're seeing a lot of those, you know, a lot of those examples, uh, you know, as, as well. Um, I, I wanted to wrap up by asking both of you uh, something, uh, JP, that, that you touched on uh, uh, lightly at the very, very beginning when you said that uh, this has been very rewarding uh, for you. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. What, what is it uh, that has been so rewarding?
3: Unlike the police department, when the fire department's called, we're there to um, help someone in a dire situation. Uh, if they're not feeling well, then we take care of them. We add comfort to them. We get them to the hospital. If someone's had a motor vehicle accident, we're helping them, making them feel better. Um, the police, they have another task of you know law enforcement, whereas sometimes You know, we say we're the good guys because we're there. We're not, we don't care what happened. We just want to make sure that you're getting the care that you need right away. And we have the tools to do that. Um, Working with school children is a a great experience that firefighters have. Um, One of the big things that we've been doing lately is the uh, birthday parades. And, um, you know, fortunately we can't get out of the trucks, but just seeing the smile of the public, as we go by with our trucks, uh, which currently involve the police department, is a great reward right now because we're adding a little bit of pleasure to everyone's life during this pandemic. And um, you know, it's very rewarding to go home to know that you made a difference in someone's life.
1: Mm. So, yeah. thank you, Michelle.
2: Hi. I can touch on what JP says as well, and um, just try to uh, the most rewarding thing as a nurse and as a police officer is to ease somebody's fear, to actually help them. You know, when you see somebody decompressing as you're speaking to them and telling them information, and that sometimes all they need is just information. You know, if you take away whatever the the problem is, if you just separate it and just listen. And a lot of the times you can just ease somebody's fear and say, look, we have to do X, Y, and Z because of this. I understand that you want to do B, C, and D, but right now you can't do B, C, and D. So let's find another alternative. Let's see another way that we can use this. And I think a lot of the times we do, I see more times now than ever in my career since I started. I've been on since 1998 that we actually work in conjunction with the fire department a lot more now because we don't have, they are our medics now. Before we had an ambulance and the fire and then the police. Well, now our firefighters are our paramedics, are our EMTs. So they're coming right on. And most, a lot of calls now are a dual thing. It's a dual thing. It's a crime in progress or it's a some incident that needs police, but it also has a layer of an either mental health or um a medical issue, I mean there are being there are layers of this now, so it's more or less we are we're like a dual role I see it as a dual role on a lot of like three quarters of my calls. I'm showing up right with the fight upon, it. so oh. it's mm. just yeah, it's a different way it, it's different because I was there when it was just the ambulance, you know it's mm-hmm. seeing it yeah. progress, you know
1: yeah.
3: Yeah. It's definitely got to be a team for fire and police. Uh, we both have to work together. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things that has changed over the last several years that we work together. It's a blue and red team to ensure public safety mm-hmm. and that the outcome is in a positive way. Um,
1: so. Yeah. Yeah, that that is. Um, that's a great way to put it you know uh, and michelle i heard you say that earlier same team different positions um and you you've got you know the, the blue on first base and the red on second base you know it's just and and uh you know the public who you serve um in your communities are on that team too and, mm-hmm. and we 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 can help you uh you know in, in in your roles as well whether it is helping you know decompress a intense situation uh, I mean, all those things matter uh, a great deal. Uh, well, it, again, it was really uh, quite a pleasure uh, to talk with both of you. Uh, you know, I grew up in a community um, of, of policemen, nurses, firefighters, EMTs. That was what I saw all around me in New Bedford. That's where I grew up. Um, and ironically, I've been in contact with a lot of my high school classmates uh, who are police officers, nurses, And EMTs, and so um, I was really looking forward to this too. In talking with both of you, I'm just kind of reminded of you know those friendships um, and and the character of the people that I've met that the two of you you know so uh, embody and reflect. So thanks for all uh, that you're doing for the public, and it's equally clear that both of you are really, really fantastic parents too. That shouldn't be lost uh, on us. Yeah. Thank
2: you. I'm very proud of my son. So
1: yeah. Yeah, he's proud of you too. I'm sure uh, and I well, know case right. for uh, you, uh, JP, and your sons. Yeah. Yes. yeah. 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 Awesome. Again, yeah. real pleasure having you. Oh, thank you so now? much. I thank appreciate you. it.
2: Nice meeting you, JP. Stay
1: safe. Nice
2: meeting you.
1: Too. You too. Yeah. Thanks. Michelle and JP, it's really great chatting with you, and thank you so much for all that you do to protect the public and serve the public. You really shared a lot of wonderful insights about how much your role is, is changing uh, and how we can help you in, in that role. Uh, I'm very hopeful that part of what we are going to learn uh, as a result of COVID-19 is how important uh, the Michelles and the JPs of the world actually are. They are in relatively small uh, communities, but these are the people you know, who are very much uh, the anchor Uh, who either we uh, sometimes don't always see or don't always acknowledge and and recognize. Uh, And yet you could hear in their description of what they're doing on a daily basis, just how much they help us to keep society moving forward. Thanks again for joining us. Stay safe and well, and we'll see you real soon. Bye now.